Uh, welcome everybody to Small Biz Matters here on Triple H 100.1 FM. If you've just joined us, this is a pre-recorded interview with Kate Carnell and we're going live to air on Triple H 100.1. I'm very pleased to say that this is the first of a series of interviews with Kate Carnell, who's the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman, and we're going to be bringing to you the developments the stories, uh, the way that the Aspifio office supports small business over the next few months. And Kate's going to share with us some pretty interesting developments about the way that that role supports small business, who she's on the round table with, who she's discussing, who she's advocating for, and especially projects that she's um, very excited to be across. So uh, it's basically, it was established four years ago, for those of you who don't know, as Biffio has provided education, advocacy, support, and free assistance if small business is involved in a dispute. I also know that the role works very closely with the all the different states, small business ombudsmans as well, and obviously with the ministers in charge who look after small business, which in my opinion is every single portfolio. Uh, there's industry assistance for disputes that fall under franchising, dairy, horticulture, oil industry, codes, and uh, she's also an independent advocate for small business owners, has the legislative power to influence nation's lawmakers, ensuring legislation and regulations are put in place to help small businesses grow and in these times survive. Small businesses are the engine room of the economy and it's Aspifia's role to do all they can to ensure that small business has the freedom to innovate, employ and thrive well into the future. Thank you so much for joining us here on Small Biz Matters, Kate. Look, it's such a pleasure to, to be here because like you, small business is my passion. I bought my first um, small business, which was a pharmacy because I'm a pharmacist when I was 25 and and had a number of pharmacies over the years before I my career morphed into into some other things around politics and industry association. So it's so it's it's wonderful to be doing a job that brings together both my um, fifteen years as a small business owner, my stint in politics, but also a good solid knowledge of what's happening in in the industry association space and in government. So you know I'm I've, I'm just blessed. I've got the, the world's best job. But you're also the best person and perfectly positioned with your level of experience, not, across, not only because you've walked the walk and talked the talk, but also because you understand the machinations of politics and policy <laughs> and how the ivory tower works, which, you know, the typical small business owner needs someone behind them that has all that understanding but doesn't have necessarily the power as an individual to be represented. Uh, it must be tricky representing so many different groups and sectors of the economy and sizes and business models. I mean, how do you get your head around understanding what the overall need of small business is? Look, you know, there's a whole range of things that um, are the same for everybody. Um, and those are some of the areas that we've addressed in our um, post-COVID roadmap, which we'll talk about in a minute. But you know, there are things that, that all small businesses struggle with, um, you know, red tape, you know, tax, access to justice, um, employing people in, you know, uh, you know, all of the things that um, being paid on time, contracts, all of the things that make it really, really hard um, for small businesses to Oh, well, to do what they're, what they're doing and that's run their businesses. Mm. And I think one of the things that I find that often um, public servants and politicians don't understand is that small businesses are actually small. So 97% of small businesses 
and there's about 2.3 million businesses in Australia have less than 20 employees. And of those, 75% of them have less than five. There's 1.2 million sole traders. Now, I'm only using, you know, lots of statistics because I have a nasty habit of doing that. Um, but to show that, you know, these are what the engine room, as you said, of the the economy looks like, and we hear politicians say that all the time, are not businesses that have got HR sections, you know, the uh, the in-house accountant or bookkeeper, um, the, you know, the lawyer on tap or whatever. These are small businesses that what they're doing with their day is, you know, head down, bum up, really, running their business um, and attempting to grow their business and, you know, pay their staff and make a and, and make a profit and, or, and be the engine room. Mm. So, you know, the, the challenge of for, I think, with policy and small business is making um, policymakers get it that, um, that we have to simplify the way we do things, not complicate it. And, it. and we have a nasty habit of producing incredibly complex requirements, pieces of legislation, you know, um, forms, you know, government forms, um, you know, all of those sorts of things. So we don't remember that people who in small business, they often have to do all these things after they've, you know, got home, you know, paid the staff, you know, done the stuff you've got to do to run your business, then you get on to all of these incredibly complex government requirements and government at all levels, you know, federal, state and local councils. Sometimes local councils can be the worst, I'd have to say, in planning and things like that. And so, the, you know, for us, although you're right, huge numbers of small businesses, really different in different areas, um, a lot of things are, are pretty similar um, across that are more relative, more related to size rather than what the business actually does. Interestingly, yeah, and you're absolutely right. When we, we look across what we do with Small Biz Matters and all the different podcasts, it is the same touch points and difficulties that all small businesses face, irrespective of what size or type of business that they are. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the projects that you're working on at the moment that are oh so important, particularly in the uh, the COVID world we live in right now. Let's talk about the National Recovery Plan. Now, what's your role been um, to support small business and, and who do you speak to when you're advocating in this role of na the National Recovery Plan? Look, um, we're fairly obviously um, speaking to the National um, COVID Coordination Committee. You know, that's a... Um, an entity that's been appointed by uh, by the Prime Minister, Nev Power um, chairs that. Um, but there are a range of other. Peter Harris is CEO. There's a range of people involved with that. But we work closely with them, and so this particular recovery plan has gone to them, and we've spoken to them at length. But we also uh, speak often and regularly to the Small Business Minister. That's Michaelia Cash. Um, and her staff, but because, as you said right at the beginning, small businesses touches um, just about every department, really. Um, we speak to, to the Prime Minister's office, to uh, Josh Frydenberg, the Treasurer, Karen Andrews in, in industry. Um, so there's a range of different areas right across government that we're, um, that we're involved with, talk to, um, you know, send our recovery plan, brief them, 
um, go and have face-to-faces with them. Um, a lot of it is because we're not lobbyists as such and, you know, I'm, an, I'm independent, so the Governor-General appoints me. I've got a piece of legislation that uh, sets out what's expected of me and my office, but the government of the day can't direct us. So, you know, I always say um, our boss here in my office is Australia's small businesses. They tell us what to do and we go off and, uh, and attempt to do it on their behalf. We've also got a great policy group. We've got 30 industry associations that look after small businesses, everything from chambers of commerce to the retailers, the hospitality guys, um, Cosboa, Peter Strong and his, in his mob, um, they're part of our policy forum and we have, um, we have subgroups of that for areas like, say, tax or, um, or industrial relations or so on. So we, we speak to industry groups because, let's be fair, they do have members and their members in, many, in lots of cases are small businesses. So it's a, it's a great way of being able to ensure that we're not operating in a bit of an echo chamber here myself as well, just listening to ourselves. Um, you know, we have an opportunity to, to speak to a whole range of people. I had a great meeting this morning with the Australian Trucking Association. And we always forget that, you know, there is something like, they told me, 54,000 small businesses, um, often mum and dad who own one and sometimes two trucks, um, you know, our whole um, transport logistics system in this country really is run by small businesses. And so and, uh, the individual small business owner can almost have a touch point with you in terms of advocacy because they can feed that information through to their difficulties or they're having with their professional association and then that gets fed up through you and then that speaks to how you uh, drive policy with your um, relationships with each of the ministers, for example. Have I got that? That's, that's right. So we have two separate bits, our advocacy part, which is the policy space. Uh, in that area, we have the power to have inquiries into things and we have mini royal commission type powers. So we can require documents to be given to us. We can have public hearings under certain circumstances. Um, we're about to release... A, an inquiry that we've done into um, uh, in, into turnaround and insolvency practices in Australia, which are the classic things, you know, that they've been written for big business and they work for big business, but they don't work all that well for small businesses, I have to tell you. Um, and so we've done an inquiry, a deep dive into that with some recommendations on how we can, you know, solve, make, this, make the process a um, lot simpler, both turnaround and insolvency. Now, you know, lots of businesses get into trouble and we'd like more of them to be able to be turned around, to be able to get back on track and to be given, you know, the, the, head, the head space to be able to do that. Um, but sometimes, you know, sometimes things don't work and we want to have a scenario where you can um, go through an insolvency hopefully not lose your house, for it to be quick and inexpensive uh, and you don't end up paying whatever might be left to, uh, to the insolvency practitioner. So you, there's, you know? a, there's a little bit of driving down all that compliance requirements to make yeah. 
it as painless as possible and then so people can move on and get on with rebuilding. So those are the sorts of things. They might sound a bit unusual, but lots of small businesses go through these scenarios. The current situation, the current scenario is where you might go into voluntary administration. You know, the the the, the liquidator, the um, insolvency practitioner comes in and takes over your business and it's the last thing you see. Yeah. You know, you're not involved anymore. You know, you're out the door. Um, and you. You know, it, it just doesn't work for small businesses. So it, turnarounds happen very rarely once you go into voluntary administration. That shouldn't be the case. And the system can often take um, as long as there is money to pay the insolvency practitioner, which mm -hmm. is really not what you want either. And I'm not being negative to them at all. It's just the system doesn't work very well for the very large number of really small businesses in a, in Australia that, uh, you know, hopefully can be turned around. If they can't, can we make this as painless as possible, you know, and not end up, as we've seen, having scenarios where banks have sold people's houses when they owe $22,000. Exactly. And, 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 and in a lot of those cases, um, people think of companies as big, large organisations, whereas a company can be something as simple as, one or two people um, in there as directors. It can be a family set up. Uh, and they're, I assume, being governed by the same laws as big corporates. And that Absolutely. doesn't work. Well, that's it's exactly the same laws. And it's really funny, you know, I know this is a bit of a chat, but, you know, the when we write legislation in Australia, we think business is one thing, you know. So we write a piece of legislation, you know, for business, now, BHP doesn't have much in common with your business <laughs> yeah. or, for that matter, my old, my old pharmacies or the fish and, shop, fish and chip shop on the, on the corner. So what might work for BHP doesn't necessarily, uh, well, almost always won't work all that well for us and will tend to be overly complex, overly administratively heavy and mm. therefore, therefore why are we surprised when we have huge amounts of red tape? And isn't it dumb, you know, if 97% of businesses have less than 20 employees, if 99% of businesses turn over less than 10 million, why don't we write legislation for small business and have add-on bits for the big guys? That would be much more sensible. It but kind of goes to the question of what is a small business and that whole definition. And I know that that's fraught with danger to even bring up that topic when it comes to people who are policy makers and policy changers. Yeah. Uh, because it depends on what you're talking about and it depends. But for the average small business owner, they just go, well, but I'm a small business, so can't you just treat me the same way as a small business instead of those corporates? And I, I almost feel like you want to throw everybody in a room who has any of this sort of power and decision-making to say, can you, just, can you just come up with a definition so we all know where we stand and then write laws around that? But I imagine that's way too hard. Um, well, it's turned out to be way too hard up until now, but I think that one of that some of the upsides of COVID has meant that we've had to concentrate and focus on what we can do to help business be more productive, to help those the engine room, you know, get driven up again, um, to help with uh, jobs, as the Prime Minister would say, very very rarely, because we've had you know twenty nine years of consecutive growth. You know, we've probably got a little bit, um, I'd say, fat and happy 
you know, in that legislative space. Uh, and so, the, you know, and maybe we've just sort of let a whole range of these sorts of things that really need to happen, like industrial relations changes, you know, like changes to our tax system, we just haven't done them because they are a bit hard and, you know, we've continued to grow, so why, why bother doing something hard if things are sort of okay? Well, they're not okay now, um, and so we need to change them. It makes me think of the back end of the government's business. You know, the rest of us are sitting there with small businesses going, okay, well, I've got some enforced downtime. How about I look at this part of my business and this aspect yeah. and, and look at the administration of my business? And it's kind of like what the government's done because the economy's slowing down. They've been given, I guess, the opportunity to take a step back and look at things like this. Is Have you got that sense that that's what's happening in Canberra? Look, right? look I have. You know, we haven't seen... Um, things like the roundtables that are happening in the industrial relations space um, ever since John Howard's time and work choices. But since then, it's just all been too hard. Mm. But, you know, if we are going to get jobs happening again, and we need to desperately if the economy is going to work, and, you know, and it's not just the economy. And remember that we've got something like 1.63 million people right now on JobSeeker, that's the old unemployment benefits. We've got 900,000 businesses that are getting um, JobKeeper and then there's all the people that are employed by those businesses, mm -hmm. um, you know, that are on JobKeeper payments. This is a very, very large percentage of the workforce. So we need people back to work. We're going to get people back to work. We have to have, to have an industrial relations system that is a whole heap simpler to to uh, to manoeuvre, to get around, to navigate. Industrial relations is obviously one big, massive headache for small business and it can often be an impediment for growth because they think oh, it's all too hard to employ more people or to try and figure out what to pay them and go through the awards. Is that what your role is when it comes to IR reform at those roundtable discussions to try and make it easier or give the small business perspective to those policymakers? Look, our role is the small business perspective and then having some um, doable ideas that could solve the problem. So the Fair Work Act is 960 sections, quarter of a million words, and then we've got 120 um, awards that sit underneath that. Now, something that we often forget in Australia, we're the only country in the world that have got awards um, this is a level of complexity that nobody else has. New Zealand, to some extent, but they deregulated their labour market many, many years ago. So um, we are really special that we've made it this complex. Most countries have a safety net in place, you know, so which is great, and we have that as well, mm. um, as well as all those other things. Um, and that's really sensible. And then they have... Um, individual agreements, workplace agreements that sit on top of that that suit the sort of um, environment that uh, or the, the sort of business, the sort of industry. But we have awards and we have awards that in themselves um, are really huge. So things like the retail um, or the hospitality award, that's mm. over 20,000 words in itself, 24, I think, different pay points. Um, inside that award um, and that's you know and this is 
sort of on top of all the rest. Now, we've seen really big businesses, including the ABC, um, have to enter into enforceable agreements with the Fair Work um, Ombudsman because they got it wrong. They, they didn't pay their staff properly. How does small business possibly get it right when people with massive HR departments get it wrong? Absolutely. So what we've got at the moment is big, very high-profile big businesses, the Woolworths, the ABCs, all of those people, you know, have, you know, massive mistakes, really. And I don't, I mean, I know they didn't mean to. They weren't attempting, to, the ABC wasn't attempting to screw their casuals. Yeah. I'm sure, but they did, but they didn't pay what they were supposed to pay because it's really complex. How do you, where do you start with that? Like you said, you know, one award, multiple pages, multiple levels, allowances. Where do you begin to untangle the compliance mess that is IR reform? Well, we've we've said, look, what we need to do is have a small business award, which might be a standalone award, or it could attach to current awards, you know, to particularly the awards where people work outside normal hours they're the difficult ones so where where businesses operate seven days a week they operate um you know longer hours they're the that's where the true complexity comes in although there is complexity in all awards but so looking at the six or seven awards that are in that sort of space um and have a small business award either that sits on top of that or attaches to them and has some basic stuff that you've got to do so say if you're running um, a cafe or a restaurant, um, it is obvious that, obvious to me but not obviously to the award, that somebody who might work in the kitchen, you know, during prep times um, might also um, take reservations at another time in the day and when you're really busy might work um, on the floor, might 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 serve especially in a family enterprise as well yeah or even a little one you know my son owned his own restaurant for a number of years and so I saw it up front and personal here that's how you work Hmm. you know he had 20 employees but not all at the same time but people multi-skilled and so on now in that award um people who work in the kitchen aren't supposed to work you know doing reservations and they're not supposed to be doing front of front of house stuff and if they do they end up in a different pay point in a different you know classification you know you can just you can see this going you know going to custard very quickly the pay slip turning into like four pages long so so what we're saying is that look you know what we should be able to do is in small businesses you should be able to have you know here's the here's the the safety net you can't be paid you know less than this we'll have a a single pay point, you know, a single pay point will have the same um, the, the same requirements for breaks. You'll find in each one of those pay points I talked about earlier, you know, they'll have different, some will have to work, if they work three hours, then they have to have a break. Others, it's two and a half hours. Others, because they are only working six hours, they don't have to have a break and, you know, tell me about it, <laughs> you know. And you're trying to actually run a restaurant here. Um, so what we're saying is, look, let's have, for little businesses, let's have a small business award that um, isn't about paying anybody less. In fact, quite the, you know, it's about paying people properly. But 
being able to have a pay point where somebody can do what happens in small business, work where they're needed at various times, have that as an agreed hourly rate with the employee with the employee and get on with the job of running of running your business. Our other view is that, you know, technology is a pretty cool thing these days. Um, we think that there should be able to be a reg tech solution here and that is having a technological a, a technological platform that sits on top of these very complex pieces of legislation that means that 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 means that I can type into the system you know Joe Joe Brown you know I'm a cafe um, he's worked these hours um, and the system will tell me what to pay him mm. now I know that it's that's not that hard they're very complex systems but technology is really good at interpreting complexity and making it simple i'm sure there's some ai out there that can simply pick out the keywords and get the intonations right about what it is that you're trying to extract out of it and that'll give you the information so that's that sounds some really exciting stuff it's about not it's not about the flexibility that small business needs it's about the reality and plugging in the policy what actually happens so it's about reality. So for us, it's about saying, here is what it looks like, government, bureaucrats and others. This is what, you know, what it's like um, in, a, in, a, in a cafe. So how do, we, how do we have a system that helps small businesses pay what they're supposed to pay and to do this simply? Um, and, you know, if we can't do that, then we've got a really big problem with our whole system, you know, yeah. because what's, the question what's good public ask, policy? Whose responsibility yeah. is it? If you can't literally figure out what you're supposed to do when you're trying to do the right thing, is it the responsibility of the self-assessed business owner or is it the responsibility of the, the lawmakers who are um, making it so complex that it's almost impossible to achieve? Well, it's the lawmakers. Obviously, it's the lawmakers. If and you've got a law that people can't comply with because it's too complex, mm -hmm then there's a problem, you know, there's a problem with the system, not with the person who's trying to run their cafe or their restaurant. Yeah, exactly. I want to talk to you quickly today as well because we've, um, we've got uh, a limited amount of time today with the broadcast, but I want to talk to you about this procurement panel because yeah. this sounds really interesting. Uh, almost, it almost sounds as though it's got some power behind it in terms of not only dictating to government but big business about how they should be engaging with uh, small business as a supplier. How is that all going to work? Look, if we think about the ways we're going to get through the current crisis, governments at all levels spend a lot of money. They procure a lot of stuff, shall we say, and that runs from, you know, sandwiches and cleaning but all the way through to IT projects, AI, you know, all sorts of things. And we're talking billions of dollars, $11 billion a year. Now, what we should be doing is ensuring that Australian SMEs pick up a whole lot more of this than has been the case in the past. Um, there is something, Australian SMEs get about 26% of federal government contracts, but 90 plus percent of government contracts are for less than a million dollars. So there's, you know, huge numbers of contracts that aren't that big, less than a million dollars, but small business only gets 26% of them. That's a so huge it, disparity. You know, 
it will you would hope that in contracts for under under a million one million dollars that SMEs picked up the, the absolute majority wouldn't you the absolute like 90 something percent I, of I them I would assume being the engine room of the economy you have to put fuel in your engine to make sure it okay so so our the, the problem with the current procurement system in federally is that first of all if the contract is more than 80,000 you've got to go to tender okay um to go to tender, you've got to go to somebody on a panel. So there's a panel system. There's a number of panels. Mm. That means you've got to get onto a panel mm. if you're a small business. To get onto a panel is um, complex and um, and takes a lot of time. Um, often panels are only refreshed every three years or so, some more often, others. So the, the complexity to start with of getting onto a panel is real. But then... Um, People, you know, small businesses tell us they get onto the panel finally and they're never asked to tender. So it's simpler to go to the big guys, you know, um, you know, less risk. I actually think there's less risk going to the small guys because they'll always deliver um, on time and on budget. <laughs> Sometimes the big guys don't. But so what we're saying is that there needs to be um, a small business panel that for contracts under 10 million, we're saying, must go through a, um, a small business panel. Um, if they can't do it for whatever reason, don't have the skill sets, whatever, fine, go to the big guys. And the other thing we need to do is where big contracts are let to go to primes in the Defence Force, you know, big companies in, uh, in the rest of the space, there is a very, very clear requirement for those big companies to, to actually deliver, um, I would suggest the majority of the work through SMEs wherever possible. Not just a, it would be nice if you did, but we're never going to audit you and make sure you do. Saying, this is part of this. So where you contract, can you contract to Australian SMEs? Because we've got to get the engine room firing and we can really do it with, um, we can help with government procurement at, at all levels. Um, why wouldn't you do that? Why would you throw money at multinationals where the money goes straight back offshore? Yes, a lot of them do employ in Australia, but if we really want the engine room to fire, the only way is with real work. Grants are great, but work's important. And would you say that's something that you would work with the each state small business commissioner as well to ensure that the trickle-down effect would happen at the state and hopefully the local government level as well? Look, absolutely, and I know that the small business commissioners at state level um, are really interested in this space and are doing some great work. There's some good work being done in New South Wales with procurement, but, you know, there needs to be solid decisions at senior level, at our political level, to say we are actually going to do this. We're not just going to talk about it. Just like we are actually going to ensure that people who get government contracts pay their subbies on time. You know, um, the Prime Minister said it, and I know he means it, but, you know, when you actually get out there on government government projects, the subbies tell us mm, the, sub, the, the primes are being paid by government now, which is great, but the trickle-down effect isn't trickling as quickly as it should be. 
So that procurement process also involves payment times. And I think there's there's a word here that I'd like to see more often, which is mandating, yeah. um, you know, and not setting expectations, not, you know, waggling your finger at people who are doing the wrong thing and not even to some extent uh, listing the, the bad boys, but actually mandating it and allowing uh, small businesses who are not paid on time to have the power of legislative change to be able to charge interest um, and fees for late payment of invoices and not have any pushback from, from the companies that they're working. Um, look, absolutely. But, you know, without mandating 30 days or less, it isn't going to work because there is some legislation federally to allow um, um, interest on late payments. The problem is for lots of small businesses, um, the trauma of attempting to, to charge the interest um, and then to get it through the system and the paperwork involved is mm. just horrific. And for those that are working in government supply chains, they're worried that if they behave that way, you know, the bigger companies that have, that have contracted them won't use them again. So we've just got to say, look, the reality here, we should be paying people in 30 days or less. Now, governments on the whole are doing it. The federal government is paying in 20 days, mostly. Recently, Defence, who's, you know, the biggest purchaser, just said, we're just going to pay everyone. We're just going to pay them everyone now and pay it in two days. So they just got money out the door. Wow. And Well, the, the really interesting part is why wouldn't it happen? And I'll just give you another stat for a moment. Barack Obama moved to pay um, SMEs um, in 15 days when he was president. Um, great. Harvard Business School um, did a um, review of what happened as a result of that. They found that just doing that, paying in 15 days, um, delivered 75,000 new jobs and $6 billion to the pay packets of Americans. You know, it shows if you pay quicker, everyone's a winner because money flows through the economy quicker. Problem we've got is although a number of Australian companies have come to the party, Telstra and Rio Tinto and, and a number of others, we've got a huge number, particularly of multinationals, but some Australian company as well is just saying there's no legislation, we can pay whenever we like and we're going to pay in 120 days um, or, you know, 60 days end of month with 90 days. So they're, they're, they're just not going to move because they don't have to and they don't actually care if um, we now, bash them up. <laughs> you said before, you know, why is it that it doesn't happen? Well, in a way, those late payments are, uh, you know, their interest on the balance sheet. So not paying someone in 90 days means you get to hang on to the money and earn interest off those funds. Uh, and when we're talking about large companies, that's kind of small business bankrolling a line on their balance sheet. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, it's big businesses using small businesses as cheap banks, really. Um, that's what it is. And so, you know, even though um, we're very supportive, the government has is, is put legislation on the table for a reporting framework where businesses that turn over more than $100 million will have to report twice a year on what their payment times are, which is good because transparency is great. The problem is it doesn't make them do make them pay in 30 days or less. So they can report it's 120 days and go, yep, 
And yeah, speaking, we can do that. speaking to the reality of that, you know, you're a plumber, you've just landed this huge construction job, a couple of hundred thousand dollars worth. You're not going to turn down that work simply because you know you're not going to get paid for 90 days because it's written, buried in some report on some website yeah. somewhere that you happen to stumble over. You're still going to take the job. You're still going to wear it. And yes, you can put it into your fee structure because you know that you're going to get paid late, but that doesn't stop you from getting paid late at the you know, bottom. No, it doesn't. And yeah. there, and I know, you know, government, some of the legislators in this space have said, yeah, but Kate, they'll be able to go to the site and see that this company pays pays in that time. Most small businesses don't have that much choice, you know. If mm. there's, you know, that big plumbing job, it's not like there's a thousand of them around. And yeah. so that that particular tradie um, will take the risk. They'll just you know, will They'll do, because they need the work. Exactly. Um, and, and in Australia we do, you know, we've got four banks, we've got two major supermarkets, we've got, we used to have two airlines. Um, um, but we don't have, there's not lots of different um, businesses out there. It's not a huge economy. So lots of times small businesses don't have a choice, even though they know a big business pays slowly. Well, it's good to know that you've got the procurement panel in place and you are constantly talking and pushing about payment times. Um, I mean, I would like to ask you what's the timelines on reality, things sort of changing, but I, I guess it's an evolving conversation. Oh, look, it is. Um, we'll keep the pressure on. You know, we hope that small businesses do the same and we really like stories to my office of bad payment times you know, um, industrial relations issues that might happen. And, and in another one of these, Alexi, when we do another one, love to talk about tax um, and a simpler tax system. But, um, you know, the reality is um, actual real stories help us, um, you know, sell our message or sell a small business message. And, we're, and we don't use small businesses' names unless they want us to. Um, and where small businesses haven't been paid, um, we can help them get their money and we do regularly. So how can small businesses find out about the work that your office does and get in touch if they've got such issues that they want raised? Well, on our website, the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman, ASBFEO, world's worst name, you know. <laughs> well, it is, you know, it's BIFIO. It sounds like a disease. Um, you know, I know, I was a pharmacist once. I would have cured it with something. Um, but... Um, um, you can go to our website. There's a capacity to put in a, a, um, a complaint if you've got something you'd like us to follow up and get, you know, get uh, get you paid if you haven't been paid, if you've got a contract problem, you know, any problem you've got either with big, big business, another business or with the federal government, you know, we'll handle those for you. Um, and then we also have a lot of information, say our recovery plan is um, is there on the on the site and we're always keen to get ideas on the areas that we that small businesses would like us to do more work on or policies that they think should change and they would like us to do some more work on. Yeah. So we're always really keen to do that.